You're listening to the Anthony Mercurio Performance Podcast, a show dedicated to breaking down elite sports performance and fitness. My name is Anthony Mercurio, and I've worked with thousands of athletes over the last 15 years of strength and conditioning. And if you're looking for ways to improve your speed, jumping ability, or just overall athleticism, then this is the show for you. Let's get after it. And welcome back to another episode of the Anthony Mercurio Performance Podcast. So for today, what I wanted to talk about as a little follow-up, not really a follow-up from last week, because last week we talked about nutrition, and today we're not going to talk about nutrition at all, but I do want to come back to nutrition in a future episode and get a little bit, dive a little deeper and get a little bit more specific onto some of the things I talked about. But for today, what I really want to talk about are my favorite, my top three exercises for building strength, athletic performance, and resiliency against injury. Now, there's a lot of hoopla about types of exercises, what people should be doing, what people shouldn't be doing, what things are beneficial, what things aren't beneficial. And most strength and conditioning coaches spend more time arguing about this type of thing on social media, Twitter, and all that jazz than actually training athletes, which is kind of a shame because really, I mean, if we, if we're, if we're really looking at it, everything works. If you believe in it and if you want it to work, then it'll work. If you put in the effort, exercises will work, training will work and all that jazz. So if we're, if we're really being nitpicky, most things work. There are some things that are better than other things. And that's where these exercises come into play, at least for me. So a little, a little bit more background, a little quick background synopsis, right? So I've been working with athletes for, sheesh, since 2006. So that brings us to about 16 years. And I've worked with thousands of athletes. And over that time, some of the things that continually cause issues or pain with many of the athletes, exercises like the back squat, right? Back squat, king of exercises, right? King of lower body exercises. But for many people, it just doesn't work, right? So it's just not a great tool for many of our athletes. It's difficult in terms of, you know, getting people in pain and getting them out of pain. And let's be honest, like the, the point of training is to make sure people don't get in pain, right? Prevent injury, you know, not hurt them in training and then also get them better and hopefully prevent or reduce the risk of injury. So that's where these exercises kind of come from in terms of what we're looking for. And the number one exercise I have to go with, and Mike Boyle has talked about this for a long time, and for me, it's got to be the rear foot elevated split squat. And not just because Mike Boyle or some other fitness guru guy who wrote lots of books and made it popular, it's because of my own experimentation with it and use of it for myself, for my athletes, and it just seems to check a lot of boxes. Right. So if we're talking about checking boxes, right, it's it's unilateral in nature, which means you're doing one side compared to the other versus a traditional two-legged squat. So we get some balance in there. We get some, you know, uh, we're trying to fight some asymmetries. Maybe if you have an athlete, like I have a lot of soccer girls that I work with, and sometimes, you know, their plant foot, which is predominantly their left foot, if they're right-footed, is significantly stronger, or their right foot is weaker than their left foot because their left foot does all the planting. So then that leg gets a lot of work in training, gets a lot of work when they're, they're kicking the ball and the right leg gets neglected. And 
we can kind of balance that a little bit because if they're going to change direction or do something aggressive on their right foot, we want to make sure that it's strong and stable and can support that. So the rear foot elevated split squat, in addition to working the stability and the balance of the asymmetries, it's also one of those lower body exercises that I truly feel that the limitation is the legs, right? So if we look at the front squat, or the back squat, or any of the, the traditional bilateral two-legged squats. The back squat, many times the limiting factor is the back, the hips, the mobility in those positions. And the front squat, many times it's people's front rack position, so their upper back or their core to keep them in those positions. And many times it's not their legs that are the limiting factor. So I want to find a true, 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 true like leg exercise. And for me, that's the rear foot elevated split squat. Now, I would say for, if we look at the pattern, even though it's called a rear foot elevated split squat or a Bulgarian split squat, it's almost, you know, and where people get sore, it's kind of always like their glutes get sore. I found like a lot of, a lot of folks that that happens, which is also good because we want strong glutes because they help us or strong butt because it helps us, you know, every be explosive. So I guess going to my second exercise, that would be like a really like specific squatting type exercise would be a single leg squat. Not a pistol squat, a pistol squat. Uh, Rich Froning, who's like a famous CrossFit athlete, was saying something on um, on a Twitter feed or somewhere recently. He was like, yeah, if they took pistol squats out of CrossFit, I would go back to compete again. Because if I did pistol squats right now, my kneecap would shoot out and, and hit somebody in the crowd. <laughs> it was just really funny how he phrased it. But traditional pistol squats, yeah, yeah they could be extra, uh, a decent exercise. But I think for most people, it's not a great tool. But the way we do single leg squats, also shout out to Mike Boyle for, for the, the idea, is that we will stand on a 12-inch box and sit back to a 24-inch box as a target. So we have a 12-inch target as we do that. And we stand on the box so the free leg isn't a limiting factor. So on a traditional pistol squat, you want to have, you have to have great hip flexion, quad strength, and core stability to hold that leg out in front of you when you lower down into the squat. And then you're not really limited by the squatting leg again. You're limited by something else. And I want to be limited only by the leg that we're squatting with. So when you elevate yourself on a box and you let that free leg kind of do its thing, and get out of the way, then we can really focus on that squat pattern. We can load this up. We've had athletes loading it up with weighted vests and chains upwards of like 50 to 70 pounds. And uh, Alex Natera, who I think he might be out of Australia, but he's a rugby guy. He has done a ton of research with like force plates and different things and like what muscles get activated and, you know, like the comparison to you know, how much force production is happening compared to like bilateral squatting. And if you can do, I'm trying to think if it was like 50% of your body weight, like loaded, it was equivalent to like two times body weight. There's a chart somewhere that I got to find. Um, I looked at it before, but the numbers were astounding. So when you're doing like a single leg squat, you think if you're doing a single leg squat by itself, it's like a body weight back squat. So then if you're doing like a quarter of your weight and then 50%, then if you can do, it was, the numbers were outrageous. And what that tells us is that we can get a, a lot of bang for your buck and with all the other benefits, like the stability 
and the single leg balance and all that sort of things. So we can get all those benefits in addition to also creating a lot of force as we would in those heavy, heavy lifts without loading the spine excessively, without doing those things that cause pain. We get pinchy hips, we get low back pain from back squats, we get elbow and wrist pain from front squats, and we can really challenge those movements um, with, without having to do all that kind of stuff. And it works out really, really well. So top two so far, we have the rear foot elevated split squat, and then we have the single leg squat. Now we want to get uh, some sort of hinge or knee flexion exercise, and I would probably have to go with some variation of a single leg deadlift. My favorite single leg deadlift variation is got to be the landmine variation. So there's a lot of different ways to do a single leg deadlift. I love a single leg deadlift with the landmine. Again, the reason is, is because we have some pseudo support from the way that the landmine is set up and we can still load this pretty good without getting crazy and we can get people into better positions with the landmine with adding some torque or some movement through that range of motion to allow us to get in a deep stretch and in the hamstrings as well as get the stability in the glutes. So all these are, are unilateral in nature, which isn't a surprise because many of the athletes that I train, like I said, are female soccer players where ACLs are the one of the most common injuries associated with them. So we want to make sure that these athletes are strong in the single leg stance there and as well as being super explosive and strong without having to do anything extra um, with those heavy loaded barbell movements. So when we're looking at them, and also these are all kind of like unique in their own way, the way that they, they hit it. So if we look at, you know, a trap bar deadlift to a rear foot elevated split squat, very similar body positions, right? Very athletic in that position. So if we're talking a, a pistol or that single leg squat, it's very squatty in nature. And then we're looking at the single leg deadlift is very like Romanian deadlift or good morning in nature. So these are three different lower body ways to t attack the hips, the glutes, and the hamstrings, and the quads in three different ways, in a unilateral way, um, without having to tax the syst overall system. Crazy. Because that's another thing. Because we're talking about overall system load. Many of the athletes that I work with, soccer players, are female soccer players more specifically, tend to be doing a lot of stuff. Right? Even with education and all this kind of stuff, right? They, they go to practice. You know, some of them are playing school and trying to do a little bit of club stuff at the same time. And some are traveling for club, playing many games on a weekend. They're trying to train. And then also, against my advice many times, are still doing like excessive running because their coaches tell them that they need to be in shape. And when people tell someone you want to be in shape, they need to feel like they need to go for long distance runs. So even though I try to tell them not to do that and I give them solutions to do otherwise, they still want to do some long distance runs. So we got to try to mitigate some of that and also create a lower system load by taxing the central nervous system a little bit less without all the heavy, heavy weights on their back or front or wherever, or picking them up off the ground. So those are my top three. Rear foot elevated split squat, single leg squat, landmine, single leg deadlift, the big three. If I were to pick another movement that I thought was beneficial and that worked and that challenged the athletes, um, it might be like a Nordic curl or, or our Nordic isometrics, which would, would hit the hamstrings in a different way that we don't get normally, like that anti-knee flexion um, to prevent 
hamstring issues or different things in, in addition to like just strengthening those positions overall. And then you got to throw in some sort of core stuff that would be a, a, in the top five. I guess you have to throw in some, some other core exercises that would be in there. What you did notice is that I don't have any upper body exercises in there. Um, and this is one of my big biggest points of contention with, with, with least football, high school footballers, is that they always want to bench press heavy. And I had a conversation with a high school football team the other day. If you want to be bad, and if there's one exercise to be bad at, be bad at bench pressing. Get a good squat, get a good deadlift, get good at the, the core exercises, get good at your legs, and everything else will follow. You don't need to have a big bench to be a good football player. If anything, only linemen really have to do a whole lot with, with bench pressing. Uh, other than that, if you can run fast, you can get into good positions and you're strong in those positions, then you're going to be good to go. Hope that helps. If you need some ideas on how to program these type of exercises, stay tuned or shoot me a DM on Instagram at a Mercurio, M-U-C-U-R-I-O. And we'll chat soon. Later. Later.